Welcome to Citizens Climate Radio. In this podcast, we highlight people's stories, we celebrate your successes, and together we share strategies for talking about climate change. I'm your host, Peter Santoscano. Welcome to Episode 4 of Citizens Climate Radio, a project of Citizens Climate Education. This episode is airing on Monday, September 26, 2016. In today's show, I share your answers to last month's puzzler question. Why should we act on climate change when that country over there is doing nothing? That country could be China or the USA or fill in the blank. I received so many insightful answers to this question, including one from a licensed professional counselor. In the art house, we hear from Michael Levy, a singer, songwriter, and climate advocate. Michael felt so moved to action that he quit his job as a school music teacher and has jumped full-time into climate work. But first, in our main section, we hear from one of my favorite climate communicators, Dr. Catherine Hayhoe. Listening to her gave me inspiration for a little assignment that will help us with our own climate communication. As host of this podcast, and as someone concerned about climate change, I ask the same question over and over. What is your story? We come to our climate change advocacy work with a lifetime of experiences. So many events, twists, and turns led us to this moment. Our families, cultural backgrounds, personal challenges, and our relationships have shaped us. These have also influenced the kind of climate work we do. In talking to family, friends, lawmakers, and others about climate change, it is not just about explaining the basics of climate science. In fact, over and over, climate change communicators like Dr. Catherine Hayhoe insist people do not need more science. They need our stories. I heard Dr. Hayhoe speak at the 2015 Citizens Climate International Conference in Washington, D.C., She is a climate scientist, originally from Canada, now doing climate research from Texas. I have returned to her talk over and over again. Regarding climate communication, Dr. Hayhoe provides insight, practical tips, and inspiration. In her talk, she demolished a dangerous and pervasive myth. No, not the one that says climate change is not happening. Instead, she talked about a myth many scientists believe— This myth gets in the way of effective climate communication. It has a very fancy name. The literacy or knowledge deficit model. The literacy or knowledge deficit model. Yeah, flows right off the tongue. She explains. This myth states, this model I should say states, that the public is willing and available to process information as long as it's available. So... If people don't support something like climate change, it's just because they haven't gotten enough information yet. In other words, the myth is that we are each blank slates just waiting for someone to inscribe useful information on us. Now, if a communicator believes the public needs more information, the response is to provide more research and studies. And that is what they have done. I, and I have, could invest hours, weeks, months of my time in the next national climate assessment. And that certainly will be used for climate preparedness by many cities, states, and agencies around the country, but how much will it sway public opinion? What will sway people? As a scientist, 
It hurts me to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's not a science. Okay, it's not the science that people need. Then what is it? What I've learned through the years is really radical for a scientist. I don't start when I talk to people about science. What I start with is I start by talking about what we have in common that we already care about. In climate communication, finding common ground is essential. This is an important point because of a second myth Dr. Hayhoe reveals in her speech. Because one of the most pervasive myths in our society, aside from the blank slate myth, is the myth that you have to be an ultra-liberal green tree hugger who bites to work, eats granola, does not shower, <laughs> and whose greatest dream is to live off the grid in Colorado or preferably somewhere even more isolated to care about climate change. Now, if you are that person, you probably do care about climate change passionately, and that's great. But for many people, what is holding us back is actually not agreement with the science. It's not acknowledgement that it's a problem. It's the fact that it seems uncomfortable, unnatural, requiring different values than the ones we have right now, requiring us to be a different person than the person we are reading. An unnatural lifestyle. Uh-huh. So people struggle to embrace climate change as an important issue because of their identity. Now, I know it may come as a shocker to some listeners, but many, in fact, I bet most people in the world, do not identify as environmentalists. Sure, everyone cares about clean air and water. That's a value many of us share. But to be an environmentalist, one of those green people, well, for many, that is alien. Being an environmentalist comes with a whole cultural and political identity, and people hold on to their identities very tightly, Dr. Hayhoe explains. How would you like somebody suddenly suggesting to you that who you are is not enough, is inadequate? Doesn't feel very good, does it? People generally are happy or comfortable with who they are, and it's important to let people be who they are and to then connect who they are to climate change. Let people be who they are and to then connect who they are to climate change. Yes, this is important work that requires thoughtfulness, skill, and personal witness. There is also a lot of good news here. When it comes to climate change, everyone has skin in the game, even if they do not know it yet. In climate work, many of us feel tempted to spend our energies trying to convince skeptics that climate change is really happening. We will explore climate denial and approaches to it in a future episode. The reality is most people do not deny climate change is upon us. What they lack, though, is motivation to do anything about it. This is because of a lot of reasons. People feel tiny in comparison to a massive, complex problem. They feel our political systems are dysfunctional and immovable. Many people need role models people like them who have found a way forward. In our climate work, our greatest sphere of influence is with people within our own tribes or identity groups. And you, yeah, you have a lot of existing connections with lots of people. I realize you may be listening to this podcast as you travel or exercise or prepare a meal, but here is a little exercise for you to try. I want you to think of the many identities and affiliations you have. So many ingredients go into making us who we are. 
Well, take me for instance. I was raised in an Italian-American, working-class, New York, Roman Catholic family. In my 20s and early 30s, I spent a lot of time as an active member in various evangelical churches. I also served as a Christian missionary in Africa and South America. Now, today, I am a member of a Quaker meeting and live in rural Pennsylvania. My habits include reading, travel, and cooking. Professionally, I am a Bible scholar and public speaker concerned with human rights. In my neighborhood, you will often find me exercising along the nearby Susquehanna River, playing Pokemon Go, and hanging out at the donut shop where they have good coffee and great Wi-Fi. Oh, and donuts. Politically, I am an independent with friends who are Republicans, Democrats, conservative, and progressive. In each of these areas of my life, I interact with a slew of people, family, friends, acquaintances, familiar strangers, colleagues, and neighbors. In addition to these many face-to-face encounters, there is the whole world of social media where my reach goes well beyond my rural Pennsylvania town. I have the opportunity to connect with a lot of people, and so do you. Now it's your turn. Consider your habits, where you shop. Think of your job or school or where you worship if you are involved with a faith community. I want you to think about all the places that you inhabit, all the parts of your identity. As you do so, I want you to identify one person who comes from one of these worlds you inhabit. It might be someone you may never have spoken to before. This person might be a familiar stranger you see regularly as you exercise or travel or drink coffee. This could be someone you know casually or someone you know well. So many people intersect with your life. Once you have a person in mind, think about your story in light of what you have in common. How does climate change affect the thing you both share? Your own personal story can help this person come closer to climate change. I want you to imagine a conversation with this person where you share your own story and how you became concerned about climate change. But I want to add a twist. Talk about climate change through the lens of what you have in common. Identify how your shared interests and passions are affected by climate change. Here's an example. Say you run across the same person while walking your dog. You share a space in the neighborhood and a habit, walking the dog. You may have even talked about your dogs. Most dog owners do chat about their pets and share tips and stories. So, is there a way to talk about climate change while also talking about pets? Absolutely. We already see more days of extreme weather and stronger storms. Walking a dog in some of these weather events is practically an extreme sport. Weather-related disasters also have led to forced evacuations. Sadly, pets are often left behind. Most shelters do not allow pets. Also, analysts project that droughts affect food prices of grain and meat. How will this affect pet care? That's just one example, but you can think of many others. How does climate change affect the industry in which you work? How does it affect a game of golf? What about snorkeling or coffee, drinking or car racing? So your task, if you choose to accept it, is to develop your story. Connect climate change to an area of your life that means the most to you. Then figure out who in your world shares that area. Then I want you to talk to them. Help them to get curious about climate change. 
Now this may be something you already do on a regular basis, or it might be a new approach. I want to hear your stories. As you try this, feel free to share with all of us your experience. What works? What obstacles do you encounter? What are you learning about climate change and communicating? Please feel free to write or call and leave a message to share with me. Then I can include your stories in future episodes. You can email me radio at citizensclimate.org. That's radio at citizensclimate.org. Or leave a message up to three minutes at our voicemail line. You can call day or night. You won't wake me up, I promise. That number is 570-483-8194. Plus one if calling from outside the USA. That number again, 570-483-8194. Now if you need more than three minutes to tell your story, just hang up and call back and continue from where you left off. Now it is time for the art house. As a wise pop music sage once sang, music makes the people come together. My guest today, Michael Levy from Santa Cruz, California, does that and more. He speaks about the urgent need for art in this time of climate change. About 10 years ago, he first became alarmed about climate change. Immediately, he recognized that action on a large scale was needed. Why isn't everybody out in the streets screaming about this is like civilization ending? And I wasn't convinced filling your tires with the right amount of air, etc., that that was going to solve our problem. I kind of stewed for about a year. I was a little paralyzed. It seemed so daunting, but I decided to quit my job. I was teaching music in a school and devote myself to doing something. I still didn't quite know what it was going to be. He began locally by working with the Transition Town Movement to bring about change. After a few years, though, he felt he needed to change things up. In fact, he began to feel burnt out. It was hard to keep up with the level of fear and discouragement and grief that comes up when you look at this issue day after day. Those of us who are inclined to do something about climate change, we can throw ourselves at the problem and we can be effective for a while. Some people have more endurance than others, but if we throw ourselves at the problem without ever kind of dipping down into the feelings that we're really carrying underneath, then it's a setup for burnout. In order to dip down into what he was feeling about the rapid changes in the world, Michael returned to music. First, he researched what sort of climate-themed music was already out there. He found lots of spoof songs. He also realized that with an issue as important as climate change, there was also a need to mourn. We need to cry, and we need to be able to look at things squarely, and not always laugh, but process them and take them in, and also find ways to find unity with each other about this life-changing situation that we're in. I started out writing songs to please me, There was this kind of song that I wanted, (laughs) and it wasn't there. So I'm my first audience. Certainly people who are either activists, climate activists, or just really concerned about the issue have really appreciated these songs. Today, Michael has a catalog of songs he performs live and shares online. He is currently producing an album, raising money, laying down the tracks. Through his music, he is processing what it means to live on a new planet 
I have a song called Another World. It's in the process of being recorded like most of these songs. I don't have a finished studio version yet. The verses describe what's going on in the world. There's a verse that talks about a winter without rain, which we've had here on the, on the West Coast. As people probably know, we've had a lot of drought. And it talks about knowing that somewhere on the other side of the world, there's an island where people live that's going underwater. And the chorus just talks about how we're going to have another world. Speaking to the planet, beautiful one in the darkness, you will become another world. And we don't know what that world is going to be. So I purposely left that ambiguous, wanted to leave space for people to have whatever feelings they have about just that uncertainty that we don't know what the future holds. to ballads like Another World, Michael has produced playful songs that also make people think. One of these is Frog in a Pan. You know the analogy that we can be like a frog placed in a pan of water on a stove? The burner gets turned on and slowly the water heats up. We're told that the frog does not feel the steady, slow change in temperature leading to its demise. Michael decided to check out this urban legend. It turns out that it's not really true. Frogs will generally jump out as the water reaches a certain temperature. And I thought, well, we need to do that too. I thought that was a good parallel to our human situation. Frog jumped into a water pan. Maybe not the best laid plan, but the water was cool and the view was grand. Way up on the stove, stove, stove. The water was cool and the view was grand. Way up on the stove. Well, pretty soon a little blue flame Doesn't matter who's to blame It's getting warm or just the same Where that flame's a glow Glow, glow It's getting warm or just the same Where that flame's a glow Doing climate work has altered the way that Michael looks at the world. It has challenged the assumptions he's had as an environmentalist. I come from a background where you think about, well, let's, let's save this piece of land, you know, or let's save this watershed. But the more that I've delved into it, the more I see what well, being an environmentalist can't be isolated from being somebody who cares about people and about a society that works. I'm a big fan of Citizens Climate Lobby and the idea that, that we can move in the right direction just by pricing carbon correctly so that it, it reflects the cost to everybody to keep burning the, the fossil fuels. There's a tendency to think about individual solutions. But we can't cope with something as large as climate change that way. We need to be together, both practically in order to actually shift the situation in the world and just emotionally, you know, to even like be able to look at climate change. We need to be together. 
And so I wrote the song just thinking about well, how can I describe a little bit a situation where things are really falling apart. Some people are in that situation now, and, and I think all of us will face more of that as time goes on. So how can I describe that situation and then just appeal to the human need? You know, will you walk with me? Will you face this with me? If the summer sun seems to beat my skin, will you raise some shade with me? If I don't recognize the place I'm in, will you be a home to me? If the tide won't stop, it's coming in. Will you build a raft with me in these times? Will you walk with me? You can hear more of Michael's music online. Visit michaellevyband.com. Levy is spelled L-E-V-Y. That's michaellevyband.com. Send me your ideas for the art house. I am interested in writers, visual artists, comics, slam poets, and more. Send your suggestions to radio at citizensclimate.org. That's radio at citizensclimate.org. And before we end this episode, let's look at your answers to last month's Citizens Climate Puzzler. And then I will tell you our new puzzler question. In our last puzzler... You were talking about climate change with someone named Simon. He asked you a question that nearly stalled the conversation. Simon, exasperated, asked, What difference does it make if we do something about climate change in our own country when it's China that's doing most of the polluting? If Simon wasn't from the USA, he might have instead asked, Why on earth should we do anything when the USA has done most of the polluting and is doing so little to act? This question generated lots of fascinating answers. I heard from Eve Simmons from San Diego, California. I will say something like, it sounds like you're concerned about fairness and equality. And I can bring up the point that per capita, the U.S. is producing more emissions than China or India. In fact, five times more emissions than China and 20 times more emissions than India course, what right have we in the U.S. to pollute so much more than other countries? Why on earth should we do anything when the U.S. has done much of the polluting and it's us? Because we are our brothers and our sisters' keeper. Why not be that candle in the darkness? And any of us that model that behavior, take those first steps, profoundly affect what happens, the ripples, both the way we think and our actions and it matters. And finally, I would say that hope is so profoundly healing that action is totally the antidote to despair. I got another voicemail from Crater Lake, Oregon, from Brian Etling. I would say, wow, Simon, I can see that you care very deeply about the United States. It looks like you want us to do not be at a disadvantage in trade and business when you see that China pollutes so heavily. Am I hearing you correctly? Digging into this issue, I recently learned that China, according to Bloomberg News, was the biggest market in the world for renewables in 2015. China invested over $110 billion in renewables, and that's almost double what the United States invested in renewables in 2015. China built more wind turbines also than any other country in 2015, and China has emerged as the world's largest market and manufacturer solar panels. According to Fortune magazine, China is now buying a lot of its own solar panels. 
Let's be honest. If you do follow the news, though, we all know that China has a serious problem with pollution. Air pollution in China is now killing up to 4,000 people each day. There is a lot of internal pressure on the Chinese government to take action on climate change. The latest news, if you haven't heard, is that in the past two years, coal use in China has actually declined. In this clean energy race, I want America to win and be number one. And I'm sure you do also. If we do, we create jobs. We sell products to China instead of buying them. We also have cleaner air and water and greater national security. And the energy savings actually puts money directly into our pockets. The key question for all of us is, which would you rather have? China selling renewable energy technology to the United States or the U.S. selling clean energy technology to China? I'm going to go to Washington, D.C. in November to lobby my members of Congress to support Citizen Climate Lobby's carbon fee and dividend so that we can win the energy race. And finally, we hear from Jennifer Hunsinger, a licensed professional counselor. She puts a different spin on her answer. Simon is acting out of what is called destructive entitlement. And that is from the theory of contextual family therapy. A person has been wronged or hurt in some way, and then as a result, that person does harm and takes it out on others. The first thing I hear is that sense of unfairness, anger, bitterness, resentment in Simon. He lives in a country that hasn't been the biggest contributor to carbon emissions. So he may feel it's unfair. He should do something to help when he didn't cause it. He's mad. He's hurt. He's scared. But he's expressing it through criticism and blaming, the destructive entitlement. So we want to help Simon develop what's called constructive entitlement. And that's when the person's been wronged and they do something positive um, to benefit posterity. I might say, Simon, pretend you are a child and you and your brother were accused of spilling milk on the kitchen floor. And you know you didn't do it. Your brother did. And your mom says, both of you clean it up. You know, you want to say, well, I'm not cleaning it up. I didn't do it. I would ask Simon, you know, what do you think he would do? How would you respond? And my hunch is he'd say he'd clean it up because he doesn't want to step on the sticky floor or smell the sour milk. So then I would explain, yes, that's how I feel about the planet. My country may not have been the biggest cause of it, but it's my planet and I care about it. And my feelings of hurt and anger and fear, I feel better when I'm doing something to help. So I would definitely take time to listen to Simon's story, how he earned his destructive entitlement. Maybe his home was the victim of flooding due to rising sea temperatures. Maybe he's stressed out about the increasing heat and humidity from the climate changes. I would take the time to listen to his story and acknowledge his feelings and then pose the scenario. Thank you. Thanks to Eve, Brian, and Jennifer for those answers, and to the many other people who wrote and left voicemails. So, you ready for our new puzzler? Here goes. You are at an event with folks concerned about climate change and the environment. There you meet someone, let's call her Margaret. You tell Margaret about your work as a volunteer lobbyist. You explain how you connect with lawmakers and offer climate solutions with the goal to change policy. In response, Margaret rolls her eyes. She lets out a big sigh and says, Oh, please, those bozos can't even rename a post office without shutting down the government. There's no way they're going to get anywhere with something as big and bold as climate policy. Why even bother? 
Why indeed? Send me your answers. Leave your name, contact info, and where you are from. Get back to me by October 15th. 2016. You can email your answers to radio at citizensclimate.org. That's radio at citizensclimate.org. You can also text me or leave a voicemail of three minutes or less at 570-483-8194. You can also text me or leave a voicemail of three minutes or less at 570-483-8194. Nine four plus one if calling from outside the USA. That number again, five seven zero four eight three eight one nine four. If you enjoy what you hear on this podcast, you may want to join me November 14th and 15th in Washington, D.C. for the Citizens Climate Congressional Education Days. You will receive more training to become an effective climate change communicator. If you are interested, you will also have the chance to practice what you learn on Capitol Hill. I'm excited about connecting with listeners of Citizens Climate Radio. For info about the Citizens Climate Congressional Education Days, visit citizensclimatelobby.org. Thank you for listening to today's show. Be sure to share our program with your friends. Just look for Citizens Climate Lobby on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher Radio. We also have a Facebook group page, facebook.com slash groups slash Citizens Climate Radio. The show is written and produced by me, Peterson Toscano. We had audio technical assistance from Chris Palucci from Media Evolution, other technical support from Ricky Bradley, social media assistance from Ashley Hunt Montrano and Steve Bulk. Moral support from Madeline Para. All of the music we use on this show is licensed unless otherwise specified. Special music for the Art House segment includes one suite from the free 1920s collection on archive.org. Also, music from Michael Levy. Visit citizensclimate.org slash blog to see info about our puzzler and find links to our guests. An easy way to share the show is to get a link to it over at ccl.podbean.com. On the right, you will see Citizens Climate Radio listed under categories. That's ccl.podbean.com. Bean. Like lima bean. Citizens Climate Radio is a project of Citizens Climate Education.